Hello there, you Awakening Wonders. Thanks for joining me on Stay Free with Russell Brand on Rumble. If you're watching this on YouTube or anywhere else, eventually you're going to have to click the link in the description and join us over in Rumble. And if you can become a supporter, it's the only way that you can back our independent voice at a time where it's obviously being challenged. We've got a great show for you today. In our item, here's the news. No, here's the effing news. We are going to be talking about the state and the legacy media's war on free speech, and in particular, how that has affected me this week. We've also got Jimmy Dore coming up on the show, and you know what Jimmy Dore will be advocating for. Revolution, mass disobedience, new alliances between ordinary people, putting aside the barriers and boundaries of left and right that we can come together to oppose increasingly authoritarian, centralised power. We're going to continue to do on this channel what we've always done. Tell you the truth as best we can. Listen to you as best we can. So the first story we're going to talk about is Stoltenberg acknowledging that Putin invaded Ukraine due to NATO infringement. A significant story because, of course, what we've mostly been schooled in is that Russia are a criminal nation led by a lunatic in Putin that unprovoked attacked Ukraine. As we always say, the Ukrainian people should be utmost in our thoughts and the humanitarian imperatives that the world claims are what's driving this war ought be what's driving a move towards peace. But as you know, the military industrial complex are significantly invested in what some people, Jimmy Dore notably, regard as a money laundering operation. Let's have a look at Stoltenberg acknowledging the simple truth that Putin was provoked. President Putin declared in the autumn of 2021, and he actually sent a, a draft treaty that he wanted NATO to sign to promise no more NATO enlargement. That was what, what he sent us. And that was, that, that was a precondition for not invade uh, 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 Ukraine. Of course, we didn't sign that. The opposite happened. He wanted us to sign a promise never to enlarge NATO. He wanted us to remove our military infrastructure in, in all allies that have joined NATO since 1997, meaning half of NATO, all the Central and Eastern Europe. We should remove NATO uh, from, from that part of uh, of our alliance, introducing some kind of E and B, or second-class membership. We rejected that. So he went to war to prevent uh, uh, NATO, uh, more NATO uh, close to his borders. He has, he, he has got the exact opposite. In a sense, what's being described there is the recipe for a peaceful resolution to this conflict, which many believe, and let me know what you think in the chat. And remember, if you press the red Awaken button, you can join our community, and it's more important that you do that now than it ever has been before. Join our locals community. We need your support. We are plainly in a position where your direct support is going to be incredibly valuable to us. Now, what we've just heard there described is the reasons that Putin went to war with Ukraine. Let's get into this story a little more deeply. Jesse Stoltenberg asserted today that weakening Russia in Ukraine could allow the United States to intensify its efforts in countering China. Stoltenberg and chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Mark Milley believe the war in Ukraine will continue for years if Kiev is to achieve its military goals. Stoltenberg said, we must prepare ourselves for a long war in Ukraine. Who would benefit from a long war in Ukraine? Would it be the Ukrainian people or would it be the military industrial complex? Why don't you let us know in the chat what you think? 
President Biden met with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky on Thursday and announced a new tranche of US military aid for Ukraine that includes more cluster bombs which are notorious for killing and maiming civilians. It seems that there's an absolute amorality when it comes to the approach of this war, when it comes to telling stories about this war, when it comes to dissenting against this war, when it comes to advocating for peace, when it comes to looking at what conditions may have led to this war. In a minute we're going to have our presentation here's the news no here's the effing news where i'm going to be talking about how the state legacy media and big tech cooperate with one another in order to control narratives that are plainly against the interests of ordinary people how they prevent us from becoming united around topics as diverse as the pandemic and indeed this ongoing conflict and also how the same psyops units that used to be engaged in opposition against ISIS are now being deployed against domestic populations. We'll be talking about that in a matter of moments. Also, we'll be talking to Jimmy Dore. But I think it's important that we cover these vital issues that appear to have considerable opposition from the mainstream legacy media. We're talking about what we've always talked about. Big Pharma and their ability to assert and exert power over political process. The military-industrial complex that seem to be able to control foreign policy, to generate, create war, and then find convenient excuses for why that war might be taking place. Most of all, what we are advocating for is our shared collective voices and our ability to independently communicate with one another. For the possibility that we might create new systems together. If we don't have the ability to control currency, if we don't have the ability to create independent media, then we are slowly being corralled into a totalitarian space where nobody has any individual power. We already live in a globalist, corporatist condition where unelected bodies, whether that's NATO, no one voted for them, the WHO, no one voted for them, or the UN are in a position where they are able to impose policy on sovereign nations. Democracy is becoming meaningless. And the only reason those stories are not being told is because legacy media are in lockstep with one another in order to prevent truthful, open and honest conversations happening that would allow us to form new alliances. <laughs> Joining me now is Jimmy Dore, comedian, political commentator and host of the Jimmy Dore Show. Jimmy, thank you for joining me this week. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Obviously, I now in particular I have a new experience on the way that the media and the state can cooperate and corroborate one another's narratives and stories. I'm beginning to sense that if you publicly question important stories that are agenda-led, like, for example, the war in Ukraine or the response to the COVID pandemic, that it appears that there is some significant heft behind controlling those narrative spaces and preventing them from being overtly challenged. Can you tell me what your personal experience is around censorship and whether or not you ever personally feel there is an attempt to close down independent media voices? Well, 100 uh, percent. I've I've experienced it. I experience it every day with the uh, YouTube demonetizing videos for no reason. Uh, the first time it happened, uh, they took down, I think, three or maybe five of my videos in 2021 because I was doing videos that, that talked about the efficacy of the vaccine. And I stated that it didn't stop transmission or contraction of the virus, which we all know now. 
And at that time, I had kind of pieced it together myself. And I had on Dr. Robert Malone, who explained how that worked to me. And then uh, I got censored by YouTube for that. And when I asked, what was this censorship for? And why did you take down these five videos? And they said it was because I gave misinformation saying the vaccine didn't stop transmission. And when I said, I showed them, well, the FDA says they don't know if it stops transmission, that they hope it does. And so their response to that was, oh, no, no, we made a mistake. It's because you said it doesn't stop contraction of this. So they just changed the whole thing. They gave me a strike on YouTube. You know how important that is. Or they gave me a warning, which is the first step to giving you a strike. And uh, so I've had that happen. And every day now, the demonetization of videos have been ramped up. The most recent ridiculous one was I did a, a video about Justin Trudeau being uh, protested by Canadians over how he treated the truckers over the uh, vaccine and over their protests. I did a, a video just showing people protesting him and uh, they demonetized it. And the reason they gave was that it was targeted harassment. So somehow I'm not allowed to show people protesting the leader of Canada, the most powerful person in all of Canada, because I'm harassing him. So that's the kind. So they're protecting the powerful and they're censoring the powerless, the people speaking to power to the power. They're censoring them. I've experienced it every day. It seems extraordinary that an organization like Pfizer is able to assert as much power and control over the legacy media as it currently does. It seems extraordinary that we have social spectacles like the Empire State Building being lit up as a Pfizer vaccine uh, uh, um jab is extraordinary that the the ability for even relatively small independent media organizations like ours to inquire appears to be met with such hostility and it also appears that regardless of the subject whether or not it's war or pandemic response, the same PSYOP units, this I'm speaking in particular in the UK, the same PSYOP unit moved effortlessly from responding to ISIS to responding to what it called COVID disinformation to responding to dissent around the war. It's difficult to not start to appreciate that the population, the public, the citizenry are actually the enemies of the state and their corporate allies. This is becoming clearer and clearer. And it seems to me extraordinary that we've arrived at this point where free speech and ordinary protocols of justice are being bypassed. How have we gotten here, Jimmy? And what dangers does it pose in the coming years? Well, we've gotten here because they have to control the narrative before it was easier for them to control the narrative because they held all the strings to the media. So now that we have media, social media and things like YouTube rumble that we can actually get mes our message out to question authority, that's what's dangerous for them. And so they have to control the narrative. They have to censor things that are detrimental to the establishment, because if they can't do that, then they have to start disappearing people. And that's a little harder and it's a little more risky. So right now they can discredit you. Uh, be, let's let's just be honest. Right. So uh, when Tucker Carlson got fired from Fox News, it wasn't because he was lying. Those people lie on Fox News all the time. They lie on corporate media all the time. They're currently lying to you about COVID and they're currently lying to you at the top of their lungs about the Ukraine war. Nobody gets nobody gets fired for that. You get fired for telling the truth. And that's the thing that scares them the most. You don't get in trouble for lying. You get promoted for lying. Look at Rachel 
Maddow. She did the most Russiagate segments of anybody on television. She told people that Russia was going to turn off their heat in the winter. She told them everything, every lie that could possibly be told about Russia and Russiagate and Donald Trump. And she got rewarded with a $35 million contract, which is $100,000 a day. That's what they pay propagandists to lie. But if you tell the truth, you will be discredited and you will be demonetized for sure. I mean, they, they so they control, you know, it's a handful of billionaires that run the world right now. And uh, people don't realize this. You know, there's that movie network. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but in the movie, Ned Beatty says there are no countries anymore. There are only companies and the international transfer of dollars. And so people like us, we upset that that balance, that that international transfer of dollars, because the truth might get to the taxpayers, might get to the people and there might be a revolution. Now, in the United States, during the Great Depression, FDR, the only reason he was he gave people Social Security, the only reason he gave people a jobs program was because the establishment, the ruling capitalists were afraid of an actual revolution. And so FDR told his people. To told the wealthy from the class that he came from, he said that if you don't give them some of your money, they're going to come and take all of your money. And so that's the only thing that scares them is an actual revolution, which is what I think we need right now in the in the United States or in the West, for sure, because we are controlled by a handful of billionaires. Right now, they're, in the United States, we have people living under every bridge. People don't have a living wage. They're 80 percent of workers live paycheck to paycheck. We don't have health care. In America, people still go bankrupt. I was one of them went bankrupt when I got sick. We still didn't, but unlimited money to Ukraine. And so what does that tell you? They're doing so Chris Hedges once said that they're lying, cheating right out in the public right now, and nobody cares. And that's exactly what's happening. They've concocted this Ukraine war narrative so they can go do a money laundering operation, which is now called the Ukraine war, which they provoked so they could start their money laundering operation to give it to their donors. This is all about the donor class running our uh, Congress and our presidency, at least in the United States, the donor class does, which is why they're also criminalizing Donald Trump, because they've demonized Donald Trump as a white supremacist. That's what the establishment flexes now. First, they call you a sexist. Then they call you misogynist. Then they call you a white supremacist. And they've done this to Donald Trump. And now they, it's harder to sell wars with someone you've demonized as a white supremacist. So now he's no longer useful to the to the establishment. So that's why they have to discredit him and criminalize his organization. So that's exactly what's going on. And so now there's also protesters in Atlanta, Georgia, who are protesting against the expansion of the police state there. It's called Stop Cop City. So the same jury that used a thing called the RICO laws. RICO laws were invented in the United States specifically to go after the mafia. They're now using it to go after their political opponents whether it be Donald Trump or whether it be protesters against the expansion of the police state in the United States. And people pretend they don't see those two things. You don't have to like Donald Trump to be worried about this. I'm not a Donald Trump supporter. I never voted for Donald Trump, but I can see it's just like that old saying when they came for the Jews, I didn't say anything because I wasn't when they came for the trade unionists, I didn't say anything because I but when they came for me, there was nobody left to say anything. And that's why it's important we stand up now and say something about the criminalization of the of the 
whole politics and the uh, and the political opponents of the establishment. That's what we're seeing left and right, whether about COVID, whether about the truckers, whether it be about uh, climate change and the way they're using our fear of climate change to control us, manipulate us and get us to hate each other. And that's another thing that the establishment corporate news does in the United States is they report every story in a way that turns the country against each other and, and against I'm supposed to blame right now. The establishment wants me to they could they did a controlled demolition of our economy during covid that wrecked everybody except a handful of millionaires and billionaires at the top. And they want me to hate my neighbor and blame my neighbor for the pain I'm feeling because they wouldn't take a vaccine that didn't work the way they said it did in the first place. Well, I'm not going to hate my neighbor because they're suffering just like everybody else is under the same garbage from the oligarchy. And I'm going to join with them to oppose them. And it's so bad in the United States that they won't even give money to those victims in Maui right now. They got totally wiped out. He offers them $700, Joe Biden. But only if we give another $24 billion to the most corrupt country in Europe with absolutely no oversight whatsoever. It's 100% money laundering operation, the Ukraine war. We're completely corrupted. The only thing I think that can save us now in the United States is a revolution that takes down and tears apart the government and the corporate media. Jimmy, that is a powerful piece of rhetoric that you have just unloaded. And it's impossible not to take note of Julian Assange's famous observation that the function of government is to take money from public hands and to place it in the hands of private interests and that they have become adept at providing means to undertake that very thing. This criminalization of opposition in all its forms, whether that's at the level of the individual in order to facilitate censorship, whether it's to legitimize more surveillance, whether it's to create more and more opposition between communities that might otherwise be united, appears to be a technique and a tactic that is plainly on the rise. When you talk about revolution like that, and when you describe the conditions in your country, and it's not that different in our country, Jimmy, to tell you the truth, it seems, it seems that what you're describing are the perfect conditions for revolution. Disenfranchisement, disenchantment, attacks on not only humanity itself, but almost the essence of humanity. Values like kindness, compassion, unity, forgiveness, redemption, justice. The institutions themselves are becoming an anathema to our highest creeds, our highest values. The, the, I would say the apotheosis of humanity is our ability to cultivate and create cultures around compassion and kindness and unity and fairness and justice. And it seems that these models, these modes are being broken down. When you describe a figure like Trump being criminalised in the way that he evidently and plainly has, vilified to the point where there are certain people who can't even hear his name without it like being a dark bell rung in their hearts, it shows us that we're at a point of almost ubiquitous fracture. I wonder, Jimmy, how you see the role of independent media relating to in new independent political movements, and even if those political movements are currently within, in your country, the main parties. I'm talking specifically, I suppose, about Bobby Kennedy, who's emerging out of this pandemic and war period as an authentic voice. And in spite of his surname and the obvious fact that that means to a degree he's a legacy politician, he has, he's creating a lot of hope 
He's creating a lot of traction. He's the first political figure, perhaps other than Trump, with Trump's relationship with Twitter, who's been able to gain access to an audience without having to move through the legacy media gatekeepers who seem hell-bent on preventing oppositional voices from uniting and from being amplified. When you talk about revolution... Obviously, it seems that in 2023, with a militarized police force, with a surveillance state, with anti-protest laws, with the ability, increasing ability of governments to switch off money supply, to shut off your tech, to shut off your ability to communicate, that the type of revolution that we're discussing would have to have a very different flavor and would perhaps have to coalesce around political figures that are willing to carry that burden. Do you think it is a revolution that requires leaders? Do you think it is a revolution that's happening at the level of the nation? Do you think it's a revolution that by its nature has to include a significant portion of the population? And if so, what do you think is going to be the significance of relationships between independent media, particularly if independent media is under attack, and independent political voices? How are these new nexuses or nexi to be formed? And do you see that formation taking place yet, Jimmy? Well, I do. I think Bobby Kennedy, as his his almost entire campaign is being run in alternative independent media. He's going around the mainstream news media and he's going directly to the people. He's going through podcasts. And so, of course, they have to demonize those podcasts. I just saw the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, said he's worried because his son is listening to Joe Rogan. And I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? Joe Rogan didn't lie to his, his kid about the Ukraine war, about the truckers, about COVID mandates, vaccines, lockdowns. Guess who did? Gavin Newsom did. And the establishment, this idea that the, that the, the corporate news and the government officials put forward that somehow we're at risk imperiled by independent media spreading misinformation. Well, I'm here to tell you, we all know that the number one spreader of misinformation and lies is the government. The second is the corporate media. And third is everybody else. And it's a distant third. And so this idea that we have to worry about independent citizens having an opinion and sharing it on social media, that that's the problem, again, is misdirection. It's having us turn on each other instead of turning on the powerful. And so we have to keep our eye on the ball. And what happened is so put it to so I, I remember when a uh, Christian Smalls, if you don't know who that is, he started a uh, the Amazon Union on Staten Island in New York City, and he was a black guy who got fired by Amazon at the beginning of COVID, and he stood out there and he organized those workers against him. And who did he organize with? He organized with Trump voters because that's who is on Staten Island, that's who's working at that Amazon fulfillment center. So this is class. Yeah. This is they don't want us coming together. By class. That's why they want, that's why they stress identity politics. Let's remember what identity politics is. Instead of the establishment fixing a problem, what they do is they put someone in charge of the problem from a marginalized group. So now if you still complain about that problem, they can dismiss you as a phobe of some kind, a sexist, or a white supremacist. That's what that about. You know what I say? If it was 1860, the Democrats wouldn't be fixing slavery. They'd be bragging about their first transgendered slave owner. 
So that th- this is real, and that that's a joke, but it's also very serious because they want us to identify as individuals, and they don't want us to identify along class lines because that is the only thing that scares people. People from the left and the right and the center coming together to realize we have a common interest and a common enemy. That's the only thing that could scare them, and that's the only thing that will do anything to them. And that's why it was so important that they demonized the truckers in Canada. They had to call them white supremacists. They called them Nazis. And by the way, the truckers in Canada were vaccinated at a higher rate than the general population. They weren't protesting medicine. They were protesting bullshit authoritarianism. And they were right and they were freedom fighters. But in the United States, our corporate media so propagandizes us that we can't tell the difference between a freedom fighter and a Nazi. We look at the truckers and we call them Nazis. And we look at the Nazis in Ukraine and we call them freedom fighters. That is the upside down backwards world we have us living in right now. It's actually literally Orwellian where the meaning of words is being altered, where the ability to communicate is being shut down, where a kind of existential crisis is being induced so that people don't feel free to communicate, don't feel safe to have opinions, don't feel safe to knock the edges off between the obvious differences between people that we can find common ground together. Your example of Christian Smalls, I think, is apposite because what he created and what he participated in was significant because by bypassing the assumed division that the top-down elite model would impose, you're able to actually gain some traction. You're actually able to locate some power where ordinarily there is just the kind of existential despair. If you're working at an Amazon site, whether it's in the UK, Tilbury, where I'm from, or whether it's in Staten Island, presumably nearer to where you're from, it doesn't matter. You're suffering under the same conditions. I suppose one of the things we have to face is that the models of the last century are starting to become defunct. Models that emerged out of industry, like socialist movements that emerged out of industry, in particular union movements, do not seem to be able, other than in the example that you've just given, to operate at scale in a way that's meaningful, particularly not when confronted with a kind of centralist behemoth of this nature. I suppose we live in unprecedented times of scale. There was never before the ability to have the kind of globalism that we currently have, where there are unelected bureaucratic bodies, whether that's NATO or the WHO, that have a level of power that's unimaginable. That alloyed to the kind of ability to communicate and control the big tech platforms have mean that the ability to organise and confront of ordinary people has to kind of radically alter. The rhetoric that you and I engage in, and I compliment you now, Jimmy, you convey this stuff so beautifully, so passionately, so articulately and so clearly, is plainly a valuable weapon. But I wonder how we escalate beyond this point of communication to the point of organisation because clearly it seems that this is something that has to happen at scale because every single crisis is treated as an opportunity. Every single crisis seems to have the same resolution, 
limit and prohibit the power of individuals, increase the power of the state, ignore the uh, impact of large centralized organizations on the problem. For example, if you take climate change, which of course I'm entirely sympathetic towards, it's just I note that whenever solutions are offered, they're usually solutions that are punitive to ordinary people rather than solutions that may impact the profit of powerful organizations or or impact the business model even of powerful organizations. It seems, I suppose, God, what I'm starting to realize even as I'm talking to you is that the role we have is about providing cartilage and connection and hope. You know, without some kind of hope, it becomes impossible to even conceive of moving forward. Jim, I've got a whole bunch of things that we can run through, like currently uh, Zelensky is in DC requesting $24 billion. And this is, again, this off the agenda particularly among progressive Democrats, is an, any kind of argument for peace advocacy. In fact, peace is being regarded as the problem uh, uh, rather than war. Tell us what that indicates. So they just had a climate march in New York City when I was there. I think they said 25,000 people showed up to it. Now, what they had was a bunch of uh, quote-unquote progressive Democrats speaking there. And we all and so they're supposed to be opposing climate change and fossil fuels, while, of course, the Democratic Party is opening up Alaska to drilling and they blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, which is the biggest. So Joe Biden and the Democrats are the biggest echo terrorists in the world. This this idea that they're actually fighting climate change is garbage They're What they're using is our fear of climate change to control us, right? And so they also are demonizing communism, right? So a lot of people in the in the in the United States anyway, the the new meme is to equate what happened during COVID with the Democrats, the left and uh, and communism. So I have to explain to those people, this wasn't communism. This is called capitalism and the corporate capture of our government. This was done to us by capitalists. It wasn't done to us by communists. This was done to us by Pfizer. This is done to us by NBC News and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and by and the bought uh, media and the bought government politicians. So this this uh, this idea that it's communism is wrong. The the other idea that uh, somehow those Democrats who are fighting climate change are true is garbage because they all support the Ukraine war. Now, I, here's a fact that might stun some people. The number one emitter of carbon dioxide in the world is the U.S. military. By far is the biggest emitter of carbon dioxide in the world. We have around a thousand military bases around the world. They just built three more new military bases in the Philippines and they put one in Syria. They built a military base in another country that we are illegally occupying. So, and then of course there's the U.S. Ukraine war. So they and those Democrats who are out there pr purporting to be opposed to, to climate change and fossil fuels are supporting war 100 percent. So that's a lie. And if those people were serious about fighting climate change, they would say, hey, maybe we need to shut down a couple hundred military bases. That would be the first place I would start. That's the last place they're starting. In fact, they're expanding the military. It's all about empire. This is all about more money for the establishment that pulls the strings and hold, pulls the levers of government. Government is no longer there for you. Government is there for, of, and by the corporation and a handful of billionaires, the WEF and the W. Right now, the WHO is supposed to be dictating health policy in the United States, especially on YouTube and Google. 
There's an unelected body that's been funded. You know, the biggest funder to the WHO is Bill Gates, China, and then Bill Gates through him, through himself, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and by Gavi, which is a pro-vaccine organization that he also funded. So that's who's, so it's one billionaire, the richest guy in the world, is dictating policy on YouTube, Google, that uh, that surrounds everything from economics to healthcare to climate to everything. It's being a handful of billionaires are running the world right now and people are i need to really wake up to it and once they do they will shut things down and how do you pro, how do you protest this well barack obama also he was the guy everybody loved barack obama he was not a departure from george bush he was a continuation of george bush barack obama took us from two wars to seven barack obama kicked 5.1 million families not people 5.1 million families out of their homes during an economic crisis engineered by wall street while at the same time he made sure the wall street bankers got their bonuses he built those cages donald trump put hispanics in he deported twice as many hispanics as donald trump did and he dropped more bombs than george bush but right now, they're trying to put Donald Trump in prison as George Bush and Dick Cheney walk free men after they everyone knows they ordered a torture program. And Barack Obama was supposed to, he's constitutionally required to prosecute uh, those people like Dick Cheney and George Bush for torturing people and ordering a torture program. But he didn't. Why? Because he works for the same people. His entire cabinet came from one email from Citigroup. How do I know that? Julian Assange revealed that, which is why they called him a rapist and he's in jail for the last 12 years. That's why, because he told the truth about the establishment, not because he lied about the establishment. And Barack Obama went on to then make protesting criminal. How did he do that? He re he repealed habeas corpus. Habeas corpus. So now all they have to, now you don't have a right to a trial. You don't have a right. And all they have to do is say that you're a terrorist and they can and give you what they call indefinite detention, meaning they can lock you up without a trial, without even charging you. And that's what Barack Obama made happen. He signed that law at the NDA 1021. He signed it and he did it on New Year's Eve. So nobody knew about it. So now if you go to protest, like if I want to go protest, they're going to call me. In, uh, if I want to protest the new oil well or I want to protest whatever it is, they'll call you and uh, you're a climate terrorist or you're an economic terrorist and all they have to do is put terrorists at the end and they can put you in jail indefinitely lock you up and silence you and that is thanks to barack obama and that's why the establishment loves barack obama and that's why they hate everybody else who points that out so i don't remember what the actual question was but things are way worse than people actually think it's extraordinary when heroes that the culture offers us are so entrenched within systemic corruption of a scale that's difficult to believe, even as you recite it, even though many of the things you are relayed are facts that I'm familiar with, obviously Obama's role in 2008 and the bailouts, but that uh, habeas corpus, I was unaware of that. And again, the conflation of opposition with terrorism is clearly one of the pieces required to build us towards a dystopia. And sometimes, Jimmy, doing what we do for a living, when you're reporting one minute on increasing surveillance, the next minute on increasing censorship, the next on money flooding towards a war that you describe as a money laundering organization, the inability of democracy to function, the closing down of dissenting voices, it 
feels like um, an immersive experience. You can feel now how oh, the militarization of the police, the banning of protest is. You can see how the pieces are being laid out to create an inevitable corridor towards indefatigable tyranny till the point at where opposition becomes just inconceivable. In addition to that, there are the kind of emotional and spiritual toll that it takes in diminishing the ability even to feel hope, a kind of culture that has very, very low values, that is not able to elevate the best of us, that is slowly excluding many of the principles that are required if you're to even participate in visionary politics, the idea that you might actually offer a real change. Now, we've touched again and again upon the uh, Ukraine conflict. And I know that you have something to explain to us uh, about uh, Stolenberg and in particular NATO's invasion of Ukraine and how we arrived at this point that is very much at odds with how we broadly experience reporting on this conflict. Could you uh, unpack that for us a little, Jimmy? Well, all I can tell people is that when whenever you listen to the government or the corporate media talk about Ukraine war, they always start the story three quarters of the way in. They never tell you the first three quarters of the story. They never tell you about, put it this way. Let's say I was standing on a corner and a bus was coming and there was an old lady standing in the street and she was just about to get hit by the bus and I pushed her out of the way. The corporate media would start the story. Jimmy Dore pushes old lady down on the sidewalk <laughs> and that's where they would start that story. And so that's where they start the Ukraine war story. They don't tell you that there was a coup instituted by the CIA of Ukraine of their democratically elected government and they, the CIA funded and got in bed with right-wing Nazis to overthrow a democratically elected government in Ukraine. And then when the Russian-speaking people who identify with Russian ethnically in the eastern part of Ukraine, called the Donbass, didn't want to go along with the coup government that the CIA set up with the Nazis, then they started shelling them and bombing those people. So what did they have? They had a peace agreement called the Minsk Accords. They had two of those. And guess who abided by it? Russia abided by it. Uh, so so did the Donbass. So did those people. You know who didn't? Ukraine and NATO. They kept bombing them. They killed something like sixteen to eighteen thousand people since they passed the Minsk Accords. And then they ramped up the bombing the month before the invasion to double. They doubled the bombing. So what they were doing was trying to get. Uh, Putin to do that very thing, which was to, to invade Ukraine to protect those people. They don't tell you that he was at, there was already a war going on when Putin invaded Ukraine to protect the Donbass. They leave all that out. They leave out all that history. They leave out that there already was a peace accord that everybody was following except Ukraine and NATO in the West. And they also leave out the point that there was already a peace agreement in March of 2022 that was going to be signed. And they had to send Boris Johnson to Ukraine in the uh, as the spokesperson for the West and NATO to, to kill that. And I, I don't know what he said exactly to Zelensky, but I can tell you what the Nazis and the leader Nazis in Ukraine have already told Zelensky that if he does a peace deal, that they will hang him from a tree in town square. So that's what's going on with Zelensky. He's a big money launderer. He knows that if he tells the truth, he's a dead man. So he's playing along. But he's going to find out that as soon as the West is done with him and he's no longer useful, they will probably coup him and then kill him, just like they did with Gaddafi and everybody else who's right and Saddam Hussein. Everybody, they're always our friend until they're not anymore. And uh, by the way, 
we call I just can't get over the fact that people still in the West uh, call Putin a thug. Mean, meanwhile, the United States is occupying a country right next door to Ukraine, Syria, and we're occupying a third of that country. Which third is that? The part that has the oil. And the president of the United States, Donald Trump, when he was asked, hey, why are you leaving troops in Syria? He he had a gaffe. And what's a gaffe? A gaffe is when you tell the truth. He told the truth. He said, the reason why I'm leaving those troops in Syria is for the oil. It's our oil and we're taking it. And that's another reason why they had to get rid of Donald Trump, because he accidentally told the truth. He's such a political novice. He didn't realize that the president of the United States can't tell the truth about our foreign policy, which is that we use our military might to invade smaller, more powerless countries and steal their natural resources, which is exactly what our foreign policy has been for the last 50 years. And he revealed it. That's another reason why they had to criminalize him and get rid of him. Things are, again, I'll just end every rant like this, but things are way worse than people think what we, what, why they were so afraid of the truckers because they set an actual template for how to create change. And how is that? You have to shut down capitalism temporarily to inflict pain on them so that they, now you have that power. And they couldn't let people see that. So that's why they had to call them white supremacists and, and to call them Nazis and say they were anti-science. Exact, everything was exactly the backwards. The people who were against the truckers, the people who were against protesters, they're the ones being anti-science. Today, today I saw an article that the Becerra, the head of the United States Human Health and Services Department, said that he got his vaccine because he doesn't want to infect his mother. Now, we all know that that, that that's just a lie, that, that that's anti They're still saying that almost four years now into COVID, they're still pushing that lie. And why would they be pushing that lie? It's because they want to sell more vaccines for the people who actually control the country, which is a handful of capitalists. Whoa. Jimmy, what you describe as the solution is immediate disobedience. It's impossible really to contemplate how we found ourselves in this situation until you look at how the narrative is controlled on a global level. Here is a story about how uh, Dr. Robert Epstein capturing how Google manipulates um, manipulates elections is a, a phrase that I'm going to use there somewhat carefully. It says that Google influences about 25% of elections throughout the world, including those in the United States. Over 70% of people in America get their news through Google and Facebook. Google controls the lives online, at least, of more than 5 billion people worldwide. Temporarily, I saw Jimmy Dore's world light up before being plunged Hang once. On, I'm going to get another light. I'm losing my light from the window. It's getting dark where I have. Can I put another light yeah, over on, here? Throw, so I can, throw, you throw can a see. light on it. There we go. Oh, yeah, that's even better. Now you're angelic. Okay, thank now you're effulgent. Jimmy Dore, newly effulgent, beautifully lit up. It's plain that Google are able to at least direct narratives. How else would it be that we would tolerate just a handful of the things that you've outlined? Villainous politicians presented as heroes, corrupt corporations able to profit from crises, energy companies that are able to benefit from an energy crisis and increase their profits still while receiving subsidies illegal wars carried out under the pretense of humanitarianism all of these things can only occur if information is controlled you've returned several times to the truckers precisely because they represent the opportunities that become apparent 
when people are willing to unite against a common cause. As you say, when disobedience and disruption are presented, new possibilities occur. If the system prohibits the possibility for democratic change, then of course, organization out of the system becomes absolutely necessary. One of the defining moments in the trucker protests, as well as their characterization unfairly and libelously as Nazis, was when people that were funding that protest had their funds shut down and stopped when GoFundMe rediverted their rediverted those dona- those donations. What do you think is the likelihood that CBDCs, as well as new forms of identification and passports that perhaps could be inaugured as health measures, will mean that ultimately each citizen finds themselves in a position where they can be financially controlled through digital currencies, that they can be their movement can be controlled through passports initially issued as a health measure. What do you feel we ought be doing? when we're presented these ideas as solutions in order to facilitate safety and convenience. So I didn't realize until I saw a speech by Bobby Kennedy at a Bitcoin convention, I didn't understand any about about digital currency and how dangerous it is. And so Bobby Kennedy talked about how we now live in a world where we can have, and he pointed to the truckers and how they turned off people's finances. And, and he talked about how we now have latchkey totalitarianism. And all, that's, and so, and, and that a good antidote to that is Bitcoin. And then it made me realize why the establishment demonizes Bitcoin so much because it's blockchain and they can't control it and they can't turn off Bitcoin like they can turn off the CBDs. So that, that's a, I think so. I went on immediately. I bought some Bitcoin, right? And uh, we got to do everything we can to fight back. And that's how they're going to control us. They can they control our 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 wallets. They control our bank accounts. Which what does that do? That can so now if if I uh, can't control my bank account, I can't pay my electric bill. I can't pay my internet bill, and that means that I can't be on this show with you. Mm-hmm. I can't get my message out. I can't travel around the country to do my shows and bring my message to people and have people come together. I can't do any of that. So they've disappeared me. I I remember I I read books in high school about the establishment disappearing people and how they can do that. Well, that's exactly what they're doing and they can do it digitally now. And so that's the that's the the big scare. People aren't awake to it. You know, I had uh, uh, even people who are independents. Uh, or politically have no idea how important this is that the digital currency is not your friend. We need to hang on to paper money and we need to uh, boost, I think we need to boost Bitcoin, especially uh, and boost things that are not controlled by any kind of central bank or any kind of government or a handful of capitalists. It's it's uh, it's it's democracy in money, Bitcoin. And so I'm big on that now. And I think most people need to get informed about that. And if once once people so because most people go, it's like you ever heard people say, well, I don't care if they uh, read my emails or I don't care if they I don't have anything to hide. I'm not committing any crimes. Yeah, okay. Wait till you actually get upset about something that the government or the establishment is doing. That's when they turn anything you're doing into a crime. And that as we've as we've seen, look how they turned Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump says that the the, the election was was uh, fraudulent. 
Well, they spent the first uh, four years previous to that saying that Russia had overthrown our. So it doesn't matter what you're doing, what if they want to say you're a criminal, they'll make you a criminal. And if they have uh, access to shutting down your finances, that's way easier for them. So, again, if they can't if they couldn't turn off your finances, if they couldn't censor you, if they couldn't uh, demonetize you and have people look, look at the gray zone, right? The gray zone does amazing, amazing investigative work that always is against the uh, international. Uh, security state, and they expose all kinds of crimes of the security state in the Western world. And and what did they do? GoFundMe took ninety five thousand dollars away from them. They were doing a, a fundraiser to hire a full time. Uh, another full-time reporter, and they, what did they do? They demonetized them. They wouldn't give them their money back that they actually raised. So this is the, this is how they're controlling us. And and until people, until it happens to them, I guess they won't understand it. But if it happens to people that they watch, maybe, or if they happens to people that they like, maybe they'll start to wake up. So I'm, and you know, they would have done this to me. A lot of people wanted me to run for president, right? And this is before we knew Bobby Kennedy was running. People wanted me to run because they wanted me to give a voice to these kind of concerns that I'm talking about. And they like that I can speak to people on the left and the right. And I don't demonize my neighbor for the problems that the oligarchy is causing us. And they wanted me to run. And I told what exactly what would have happened to me is the exact same thing that Julian, they did to Julian Assange, the exact thing they did to you, they would have done to me and they would have taken down my channel. So uh, I, I, I knew all this and I knew I could be more effective right here doing this because they would have just disappeared me and people would have forgot about me and they would have discredited me. And so I'm going to hang on as long as I can telling the truth and trying to bring people together. But what we really need is the people to embrace the truckers and people to embrace that form of protest, because that is the only thing that they will feel. And that's the only thing that can stop them is if we shut down capitalism, not that I'm against people having having businesses or making money, but we have to do it across the board and we have to put a hurt on them and it has to make them afraid. Right now, we have to we have to dismantle the corporate media and we have to dismantle the the coalition. When 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 they got rid of the campaign finance laws in the United States, which is what they did, now corporations can spend unlimited on elections. And so they run the country outright now. Before it used to be they used to have to bribe somebody under the table, just like the corporate news used to have to bring on somebody who would give you CIA uh, talking points. Now they just bring the guy on from the CIA <laughs> as if he's the guy who's supposed to be telling you the truth. They're supposed to be bringing on a guy telling you where the CIA guy is lying. What they do is they bring on the CIA guy to tell you the as if he's telling the truth. And why? Because of Donald Trump. Everything gets filtered through the uh, prism of Donald Trump. And if they can get you to hate Donald Trump, a guy who didn't want to be president in the first place, a guy who, by the way, the establishment loved for decades. Everybody knew Donald Trump's name because they couldn't get his name out of their mouth. They were He was a special guest on late night talk shows. He was guest host on Saturday Night Live. They gave him his own network television show for 10 years where people from Hollywood would come and bend their knee and call him Mr. Trump and they gave him Emmy nominations. They all went to each other's weddings. They all, their kids are all best friends. They all played golf together. They all went to Jeffrey Epstein's island together, but somehow now they hate Donald Trump. I wonder why. Wow. Jimmy Dore, what a fantastic advocacy for revolution, for independent thought, for independent analysis. And as always, an incredible and inspiring way of just communicating. Jimmy, just to spend a bit of time with you really lifts my spirit at a time where I plainly uh, need it. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to you for spending time 
on what looks like a vacation with me. Now, Jimmy Dore may not be running for president just yet, but he is throughout October appearing at a number of comedy theatres with his fantastic show. You can go to jimmydore.com to see him in Indianapolis or in Houston, Dallas, Orlando, Boca Raton, San Diego, all over the place. Have a little uh, look on Jimmy's website to go and see Jimmy live. If this is him when he's under surveillance, can you imagine Jimmy Dore when he is truly free? Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us. It means the world. My my pleasure. Uh, stay strong. Thank you, Jimmy Dore, for not holding back and for urging mass disobedience and revolution. Jimmy Dore's words, not mine. That's all we've got time for on Stay Free today. But coming up this week, we got Glenn Greenwald. You know Glenn Greenwald. Glenn, of course, broke the Snowden story and Glenn has been telling the truth Ever since then, we've got Dr. Robert Epstein on the show talking about how Google apparently shifted six million votes to Biden. I know we have to be incredibly cautious about how we say that. And of course, we've got Aaron Maté from Grey Zone. We'll be talking about the war. We'll be talking about mass media corruption. We'll be talking about whatever you want, especially if you click the red button now to join our Awakened Wonders community on Locals. Currently, obviously, it's vital that you support us in the most direct way that that you can. We need you now more than ever. Thank you so much for joining us today for our first show back. Join us again tomorrow, God willing. In the meantime, stay awake, stay safe, but more important than any of that, if you can, please stay free. Many